Welcome to the West Podcast, where entrepreneurs share their stories. Today is all about the origin story of SDCEO. We are honored to welcome the legacy trio who started it all, Dr. Kay Shellencamp, Dr. Priscilla Ramkama, and Mrs. Helen Merriman. Dr. Kay Shellencamp served as president of Black Hill State University from 2006 to 2014. Before taking the helm at BHSU, Dr. Shellencamp served as president of Emporia State University in Kansas for nine years. Prior to that, she served as provost at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and provost at Shadron State College. Throughout her career, she was professionally active at the state and national levels and served on many prestigious boards. Dr. Priscilla Ramkama is a BHSU alumni and returned to BHSU from 1997 to 2017 and 2020 to 2021. She served numerous roles, including a college dean and provost. Her professional experiences also include serving as president of the Monument Health Foundation. Prior to her faculty and administrative roles at BHSU, she taught at several other institutions of higher education, Northern Michigan University in Marquette, the University of Wyoming in Laramie, and the Independent Institution of Russian Entrepreneurship in Moscow, Russia. Mrs. Helen Merriman served as the founding director of SDCEO. She served as a presenter for the Boots to Business program at Ellsworth Air Force Base. Boots to Business is a partnership between the SBA, VA, and DOD. She has also developed several programs to assist women realizing their full potential in leadership. Prior to joining SDCEO, she served as Communications and Development Director for Catholic Social Services. And in 2002, after 24 years in a commercial printing and publishing business partnership, she and her husband sold their business and moved to the Black Hills. You can discover their full bios in the show notes. Join our female founders and Bailey Sadowski to discover just how the Women's Business Center started at Black Hill State University 15 years ago. Are you ready to win with us in Spearfish and Rapid City in September? Join us for Women in Networking in Spearfish on September 7th and Rapid City on September 12th from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. At the Spearfish Holiday Inn, entrepreneur Meredith Pangburn, owner of the Farmhouse Bistro and Bar, sits down with Kay Jorgensen, past SD CEO advisory board member, to explore how need and tenacity produces innovation. In their fireside chat, learn how Meredith currently navigates the food and beverage industry after starting her restaurant in 2019. In Rapid City, join Kate Meadows, owner of Kate Meadows Writing and Editing, for tips on how to convey your personal brand in your business and personal communications. This will be at the Rushmore Hotel and Suites. Find the link for tickets in the show notes. Welcome to the West Podcast. I am sitting in a room full of great presence and impact. So thank you, ladies, for joining me today. I have President Kay Schellenkamp, Dean of the College of Business and Natural Science, Priscilla Romkema, and Helen Merriman, all at Black Hill State University. So thank you, ladies, for joining me today. You all have had a great personal impact and professional impact on my life, and I know many other women <laughs> in South Dakota and beyond. So I really appreciate you sitting down and telling us the origin story of SDCO. 
because these are all the positions these women were in when this organization started. So thank you. September marks the 15th year SDCA West has been an organization at Black Hill State University. That's really crazy to think about. And I want everyone to close your eyes, your proverbial eyes if you're driving, because I know a lot of us listen to podcasts while we're driving, and rewind to 2009. What were you doing? How was the world different? Smartphones and portable gaming devices just entered the mainstream. Think about how much they impact your life today. The U.S. was climbing out of the Great Recession. Books went digital. I remember that. I loved reading on my digital book reader. Facebook boomed. Apps went crazy. The U.S. just started digitizing and backing up healthcare records in the digital format. And info became instant with Twitter. Think about how all of this drives our lives today. Can you guys imagine a time where it wasn't so immediate and crazy driven through all the social media that we have today and how all this stuff made an impact? Well, frankly, I don't have to imagine. I lived it. And uh, it is amazing what has changed over the years. Sometimes I kind of would like to go back to some of the things that we did before all this digitizing. It definitely seemed like a simpler time. I remember getting my first smartphone. I was actually my freshman year at Black Hill State University. I'm like, wow, this is so interesting to have so much access at my fingertips. I remember being at a conference and another president showed me her Blackberry Mm -hmm. and could not imagine she was doing her emails right there in front of us. And that was just stunning that you would be able to do that. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. That's so like in the workforce today, it's so easy to just whip out your phone and check your mm-hmm. emails instantly. And that's not how it was. And it would be, how did, how, do you guys, I know you're all retired now, but do you, did you ever fall into that kind of trap of constantly checking your emails on your work phone once this technology got integrated into your lives? And I, how did that impact you guys? I think for me, it became uh, almost like a, another hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really enjoy being able to access information quickly, more easily. I felt in some ways I could be more organized. In other ways, I'm still a manual type of person. I like to jot things down. I like sticky notes. Uh, I like to do things manually. But certainly it made it speeded things up and in some ways made me feel a little bit more um, connected with other people and a little bit more organized. Mm-hmm. But um, before uh, Helen comments here, I hearken back to when I was in graduate school at the University of Wyoming, and I uh, was able to purchase my first computer, the Mac. Oh my and goodness. so they had a special program for, for students to be able to buy their own computer to have, and I thought that was a big deal. I had my own carrying case, for, and that was in the mid-late 80s, um, and that was a big deal for me. So fast forward then to what we're talking about here is how far we've come in just a short amount of time. Yeah, you think back at the shortness of the time, it blows your mind. Um, Helen, well, what are your thoughts? And I think it has added a lot of stress. Yes. Because I think it can be a 24-7. And I think at some point you have to disconnect. You mm-hmm. have to disconnect from the technology in order to find some more peace mm-hmm. and, and stability within your life. Because you can just go crazy sometimes trying to keep up with things and especially when you're beginning something brand new um 
I remember hours coming at night, early in the morning, Sundays, trying to catch up on email before the phones. Um, and there are absolutely a benefit now, but I think there's a cautionary tale in there, too. Especially early on, mm-hmm. the expectation was that you would reply immediately. And as president, I was in meetings from the time I walked on campus until I went home. And people, and then I did my emails at night at home. And people, well, why didn't you respond? I, I emailed you in the morning. Why didn't you respond? I don't sit at my desk all day long just looking at my emails. It, yes. it, there was added stress initially. Do you think it's um, blurred the line for work-life balance? Have you oh, seen a totally. depression yes. in that? Yes, because you never get away. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. K. Schellenkamp, mm-hmm. what were you doing in 2009? Well, you mentioned the, and we've talked about this, the, the digitization of our world. And so we were looking at how are we going to wire the classrooms? How are we going to deal with asynchronous learning? We had the synchronous where we could actually Zoom, not Zoom, but we could connect with a classroom in Rapid City. Mm -hmm. That was it. And that was a big deal. So uh, how are we going to handle this? We had computer labs for students because the students didn't come with their own computers. And that caused some real financial issues for us because that wasn't part of the budget planning. So a lot of thought went into how are we going to handle the changes very quickly, digitizing the college catalog. Oh, my goodness, I remember faculty I have to have that catalog. Mm. And so we did both. We put it online and we printed some. So there were lots of things that as we were transitioning that we were trying to deal with. The other big thing that I was dealing with in 2009 was remodeling of the union. That's right. And the we wanted it to be a sustainable building and the learning curve for all of us, was like straight up on what did that mean? How did we meet all of these expectations for the building to be classified as a sustainable building? It was a great time, but a lot going on. Right, and a lot of change. Fast change, yes. Did you feel the fast change in 2009, Priscilla? What were you doing in then? Yeah, at that time. Well, when I look back, I think about what happened in 1997, mm-hmm. and that's when I started my career at Black Hill State as a business faculty member. Um, I had just been married. Fred and I married in August of 97, and just a few weeks later, here I was in, at Black Hill State teaching. And so I, I uh, taught for 10 years in the business department, and so in 2009, I was just two years into being the dean. Mm-hmm. I had just started in 2007 to be the dean, so I was two years into it. So I was still somewhat on a learning curve, although I'd been in that department. I knew the people. Uh, it was a different kind of learning curve because I knew them. They knew me. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to work on some things collectively. It provided me another seat at the table. And I think back on being a faculty member when we had WebCT, and I taught online, and that experience helped shape my 
outlook and perspective on technology and how faculty could and should use it. Um, I taught campus on a Black Hill State campus to students in Rapid City. So that experience kind of thrust me into meeting it head on technology and you either embrace it and see the potential and this is what our future is going to be or you don't. But we knew this was the wave that was going to happen. So it was kind of a turning point for me personally, of course, mm -hmm. um, being married in 97. But I also started this new career and then by 2009 was into that Dean's role for the second year. And uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to be able to stay here and have a different seat at the table. So. I want to touch base back with you two. You were the first female president of Black Hill State University at the time, and you were the first female dean at BH. Were you, Kate, is, were you guys the first just for Black Hill State University, or where were you in the line of succession throughout the whole state for public systems? There had been at least one other female president at USD. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I was probably the second one, so it was still kind of new. But, Kay, you were the first female president in 120 years. <laughs> okay. The very at, first. Yes. At, the, at Black Hill State? Yes. 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 Well, and interestingly, I, I, that was kind of my career. Uh, I was the first woman who. And I remember giving a speech once. I was given an award for something. And they asked, the question was, what do you envision for your daughters? Because mm -hmm. at that time, we had, we still do have two daughters. Um, and I said, I hope at some point we no longer say the first woman who. And, you know, we're still doing it. Absolutely. And that breaks my heart. Uh, with Title IX and the Equal Rights Amendment and everything that went around the Equal Rights Amendment, we're still not there. Did we you feel that pressure when you became president of Black Hill State University, or is it kind of a little bit of a, I'm just going to, like you said, trying to erase that, that first woman who did this and just focus on the job? Oh, there, uh, I had a conversation with another female president just recently, and she she's still working and she said when when you were president did you have people coming in and telling you how to make decisions <laughs> oh man yes of course uh, there were a lot of people who were very skeptical about whether or not I'd be able to handle the job well you stayed for nine years correct Eight here. Eight years. I was nine years as president of Emporia okay. State University in Kansas. Okay, so this was your second president. This was my, yeah, you know, I should have learned, but it was my second one. <laughs> <laughs> so a total of 17 years as president. president. Same with you, Priscilla. You were the first female dean at Black Hill State. Did okay. you feel some of that pressure as well? Well, of the College of Business and Natural Sciences okay. in that area. And uh, it was an honor to be in that role. And, but when you, you know that there's been a different history mm -hmm. in the department, um, you do want to make sure that you set a good tone for it. And we had so many female business students, mm -hmm. you know, a good, almost probably 50% at that time, close to it, where most of um, yeah, were, were, were female. 
And so I wanted to be a good example for them. Uh, I wanted to be a good example for the young men as well. Um, and I knew that that was always in the back of my mind about being in that, that kind of a position. But I did want to do the best job for whoever the person was in the role. I wanted to do the best job that I could and uh, bring my whole self. And part of that is the experiences that I had, you know, mm -hmm. growing up. I brought all of that to the table. But um, I really thought about primarily the students. And I thought, here are these young women in this college and hopefully would make a, a mark and be able to show them their potential and be um, another person in their life who could uh, help advance their careers. So. What a great perspective. When you guys were little, did you imagine you would be president or dean just based on how society norms were at the time? When I was named president at Emporia State in Kansas, my mother came from my inauguration. Now I'm a first-generation college student raised on a farm on the eastern side of the state. And somebody asked her, my father had already passed away, uh, somebody asked mom, did you ever think your daughter would be a college president? And mom, it just hit her and she goes, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> mom, what do you mean? But uh, no, it, that was never within my my wheelhouse in terms of expectations. Uh, I, Priscilla said something that I thought was interesting earlier. I remember when I was doing my undergraduate work and one of my friends, uh, her, her father owned a business and the expectation was that she would come back after she finished her degree and run the business. So she wanted to be a business major. She was the only woman in the class. And she real she was a tough cookie, but she really had to fight hard to get that degree because nobody thought that she could or should be in those classes. Such a trailblazer, Priscilla. No. <laughs> oh. All right, Helen. Let's rewind. Before you're the inaugural director of SDCO, what were you doing in this like early 2000s kind of period, and what kind of set your stage to sure, enter this role? Sure. Um, well, my husband and I, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, mm -hmm. um, were married six months later, started business together, and we were in business for 24 years. And in 2001, had the opportunity to sell our businesses, which is what every small business wants. Um, and at that time, we had 40 employees. And so we had grown from the two of us into um, a small yeah. business. With Talk about growth and expansion. <laughs> response. So I've been there, done that. There, there were a lot of learning things. Um, and so we retired in 2001, but both felt we are way too young. We still have more to give. But it was kind of a fun time because we could do different things, do different jobs. And I wanted to get back more to my, I have a degree in sociology from Northern State University. And I wanted to get back more into the social services. So I did some fun things, like I worked part-time at the Lee Deadwood Hospital. I worked full-time at a long-term care facility here in Spearfish, where I learned a lot about aging. And in 2009, at the time, this position became available. 
I was the communications and marketing director for Catholic Social Services in Rapid City. So I had commuted back and forth, and this position became available. And at the 11th hour, 11 o'clock at night, before the deadline, I'm submitting my application because I was encouraged by a friend to apply. And honestly, I thought, oh, no, you know, it's the university. I'm not a graduate, and they probably won't consider me. They probably have somebody else in mind. But actually, I got an interview, (laughs) and the rest is history. That's so exciting. Would you apply if someone didn't encourage you? Did it even cross your mind? Well, I looked at it when it originally came out because it was here in Spearfish, and I thought, you know, the commute took my exercise time away and other time, although I got to be on the phone a lot, so (laughs) that that drive. But, um, yeah, I might have applied. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I've been an entrepreneur for 24 years. And that the job has such a, and I don't know if people are aware, so the job description really encourages past business owners to become director of the organization. So it really fits like a very niche skill set of someone who has given up that world because it is a very different lifestyle and who's ready to come back to um, a slightly more regimented, you know, hierarchy of position. So it's very curious to see who wants to step back into that world. So thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. This is a question that I've been wondering for a while, and this kind of spurred this whole interview. Who first found out about the Women's Business Centers, and how did this, like, start to become a reality here? I was sitting in my desk and got a phone call from John Brown, who was the head of the Small Businesses Development Center for the state of South Dakota. And he proposed that Black Hills State host the Women's Business Center. And it it just made sense to me as the first female president, the only one in the state, the only female dean of business in the state, a very strong entrepreneurship program at the university. And so I, I thought it was a, a great fit, but I did make a call to the dean of business. I didn't make that decision on my own because I would never do something like that without consultation. So I'm going to ask Priscilla where she was when I made that call. Yes, uh, President Shelley Cap. I received, your, I received your call as I was sitting in my office in Meyer Hall, the third floor. I could, I could just almost transport myself back to that that time period, received this call, and she informed me about this opportunity that we could apply for or not. You know, it wasn't a done deal yet. We could apply for it, but we didn't have much time to respond and to make make a decision. And this was kind of a good business lesson, I think, for myself and others. Sometimes you have to give it your best thought, your best intention, and then you have to pivot and make a decision. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we could have as easily said no, but the first thing that came to my mind is, here is the first female president at Black Hill State. I'm in my role as the dean of business. That's likely where it would be housed, is, mm-hmm. is in that, that college or that school. Uh, I thought there probably never will be this opportunity again. It was like the things aligned. It was almost the perfect storm. And for some reason, I 
remember our conversation kind of back and forth, the pros and the cons, and I, I said, I I think we should do it. And then the words just came out, and then <laughs> you took it from there. But I, I think it's a good lesson for a lot of people that sometimes you don't have a long runway to mm-hmm. think about something. You just don't. Right. Opportunities um, have time limits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the, the business lessons of planning and the work, thinking it through and, and testing the waters. And we think we knew enough about our potential and what we could do that um, I said, let's maybe give that a try. So. And I think I called John back within an hour. Oh, yeah. So okay. we, we decided right then and there. The other, I think, during our conversation was that Western South Dakota really would benefit from having something like this as an opportunity right. for women. Uh, and Helen can talk about the number of women who have small businesses out of their home or out of their garages or whatever. And I knew some of those or some that would love to have a business of their own. And so maybe, Helen, could you fill in some of those statistics for us? Well, um, one of the things, um, and Bailey had uh, updated this information, that uh, in starting in, I think, 2022 was the most recent report, there were... 90,000 small businesses in South Dakota and 43.2% are women-owned. 20 years ago, in 2007, there were only 22% women-owned businesses. Um, And I think our efforts have made an impact um, on being able to encourage women to give them the skills, the knowledge, the connections to really be able to run a successful business. Because it really is tough, Bailey, just like you mm-hmm. said. It's a 24-7 commitment. You don't just one day kind of decide, oh, we're going to do that. It really does help to have a, a plan, a strategy, a good team of people that you can bounce ideas back and forth and you need your really good banker and your accountant and your legal team so that um, you can address the things that are going to crop up that you have no idea are going to that you're that you will face almost like the women's business cover coming to south dakota we like to say you have your advisory board right of the people that you call that are in business with you as you said but then also the people you can come to to help make those decisions, that mm-hmm. emotional support. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys think back to that time? Did you have a pretty strong like mentorship or like mentor behind you that really encouraged you guys as you were kind of trailblazing in your own paths? We actually, I think, became very intentional mm-hmm. about who and how are we going to make this work. Because I remember during the interview I asked, could I read the SBA contract? <laughs> and they said, no, it's, it's proprietary information. So then after I was hired and I read all the detail, I'm like, oh, my goodness. We have got to be well organized. This is just like a startup. This mm-hmm. is a yeah. startup business. And so in 2010, we um, connected with Sue Constant of uh, Pace, 
strategic uh, planning and were able to hire her to help us in about a 12-week period of time develop our strategic plan. And we had um, professors from the university. We had a lot of community collaborators. In fact, Michelle Kane was one of our first women from the community to be on involved in that planning process. And then we were also able to connect with Sandra uh, McNeil at the Abbey Group to do a revenue generation strategic plan because we had to match Mm $750,000. And that is not an insignificant amount to match. And so we put together a plan. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make sure we're generating income? on every single thing we do, and what do we need to stop doing so we can ensure sustainability of the program. And through our grant, we also have other goals and requirements as well. Yes. We have to hit besides just those revenue goals. So that was a whole, I'm sure, another piece in getting the word out there. So that kind of brings me back to what my next question is. So once you guys pull the trigger, like, yes, we want the Women's Business Center here. We're going to start applying for that grant. How many years till we got the grant, and then how long until you got hired? So I know this might be a little like. Well, I want to give a shout out. Barb Switzig was was mm-hmm. instrumental. She was working in the College of Business and Natural Sciences, um, had great skills in writing and visioning and whatnot. And really, I think Barb helped put the bones on mm-hmm. this grant. Mm-hmm. She made that. Now, certainly, other people reviewed and, and looked. Myself and and others did, but she really gave it that structure. So I think it's important to remember how did it get the initial yeah. vision? How did it come together? And it really, I think the School of Business kind of assumed it would t- be taking lead on things. Yes. And Barb was in that school of and, business. And we still sit under the School of Business now, so you definitely still lead us in that regard. Did you guys as the School of Business also have to draft up the like job descriptions as well for the press or for the director? Because I'm sure that's like one of the first things we had to get someone here to run this get organization. hired. And of course, um, um, I was one of the people, of course, working with President Shellen Camp on, you know, what do we want the person because it was a startup. It was mm-hmm. like we were doing a startup uh, within the confines of, uh, of higher ed. And so we had to work with HR and put together a position description, uh, make sure it uh, adhered to board uh, requirements, but also to this, this grant, this opportunity. It also had expectations. Um, so, yeah, several got together and worked on that. I think one of my favorite memories was what were we going to call this? And we could not call it the Women's Business Center. That was a stipulation from SBA, the Small Business Administration. It couldn't be called the Women's Business Center. Well, what could it be called? And someone in the School of Business came up with CEO, which made sense, just that acronym CEO, because we wanted to be a pathway for women to become CEOs and I think someone in your school, Priscilla, came up with Center for Enterprise Opportunity, which most people do not understand what it was. But we came up with the acronym first. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And I remember we were brainstorming at one point around your your table. And I'm trying to think who was was there. And we ran all kinds of words (laughs) as, you know, Center for Entrepreneurship. Well, we already had a Center for Business and Entrepreneurship in the School of Business. So it couldn't 
mirror that or add confusion to the marketplace. So it had to be something different. But then we thought, what would be memorable? And you're right, SDCEO kind of rolls off the tongue even faster than South Dakota Center for Enterprise Opportunity. But it was a perfect fit for the name of something because it was aspirational mm-hmm. and it yes. allowed um, whoever accessed the services, men and women, um, this opportunity to see, okay, this is a, a futuristic kind of place. It's not just come and get some training and go home. It's aspirational in nature. Mm-hmm. But I was striving for it. So what was the feedback from BH and kind of the community once you kind of like, like we're bringing this to our organization where people confused, where they like, yes, this is needed. Um, was there a lot of pushback? I, I don't think there was any pushback so. at all. No. I think in speaking with faculty, they saw the importance of it and the value of it. What might have been a little bit um, opaque would be uh, how are we each going to be involved and what are our expectations on us? That's somewhat evolved because we had yet to hire someone mm-hmm. to lead it. <laughs> so, but uh, no, I don't think there was, I received any. I don't know about you. Okay. What impressed me was how the School of Business embraced it. Mm-hmm. And the faculty stepped forward and said, we can help here, we can help there. And also the uh, communications faculty because they helped with some of the communication, marketing sorts of things. So it was a great partnership. I don't know that we had any pushback. No. Okay, so BH and the College of Business got all the like documents and all the vision kind of set up, and then you're like, let's hire the director, enter That's Helen. Right. What, did, what was your first 100 days look like as the director of SDCO? A lot of long hours because I needed to read that. (laughs) And I wanted to be sure I knew what we should or could be doing. And one of the things that really helped, Priscilla and I met every week, um, usually for about two hours, every Monday morning. And we would review what we were, what CEO was doing, what we were planning or doing. If, if there were any challenges, because then I had a sounding board. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going in the right direction because of Priscilla's leadership and mentorship. And um, we just grew it from there. We um, And actually, in 2010, which would have been a little past the 100 days, we worked with the College of Business and the students to develop a survey to identify who are the women-owned businesses, because we didn't really even have a list. Mm-hmm. There was not a list of who the women-owned businesses are. So we had to start from scratch, and um, that evolved. You know, we kept making connections and then looking at what do we need to do, but really identifying what are the needs, what mm-hmm. kind of training, education, counseling, do we really need to provide and how do we market our image mm-hmm. we wanted to be very professional we wanted to be very knowledgeable and very inclusive um, knowing we were statewide not mm-hmm. just spearfish because we were the only women's we were the centers. only women's business center in south dakota the one thing that was very valuable for me was um, we were required. So Sharon Hemmingson and I went to Washington, D.C. for a two-day very intensive, very intensive training for new women's business, women's business center directors. 
And from that time, five of us from different states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Colorado, Oregon, and Arizona, would do monthly calls to see what they were doing in their centers versus what we were doing. And I was also able to visit um, one of the Alabama um, very, very successful women's business centers. So I had a whole big vision of what we could or should be doing and maybe what not to do. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I think just kind of what you touched on a little bit before that, Helen, is I was trying to look up stats about women-owned businesses before we sat down, especially from the time this started, and there's almost nothing out there. It was not being tracked. It was not being recorded. So it's it's very interesting to see that what data has started to be collected now and how that impacts us. And with that being said, how did you gather information? Did you talk to business owners in the community? How did you guys actually start spreading the word of the services you offered? The survey was a big start um, and and then connecting um, with as many different resources. I know I met with Brian Walker at um, Economic Development because I wanted to know who he was connected with. And he said, we really need training. We need training for small businesses. And I've always felt that. I've Mm -hmm. always felt that small business owners need, and their employees, any education and training we can give them to strengthen their business. So it was a matter of a lot of developing relationships, Mm -hmm. knocking on doors, introducing myself, explaining what South Dakota CEO was, what we wanted to do, how we could collaborate together. Um, And we just kept following Mm -hmm. that, knowing we had very intense goals to meet through the SBA contract. Oh my gosh, but the first year, uh, the goal was 125, Mm -hmm. and we had almost 500 women involved. So, um, So clearly a need. Yeah, clearly (laughs) and continues to be a huge need. I think women want to support each other. They want to know what the connections are. They want to know, how do I do this? Who did you use? How do I how do I handle this situation? So some of the big things that we do with our um, SCCO does, according to our grant, is our business advisings. And then you said our trainings. Can you kind of reflect on your first business advising and your first training with this new organization? Um, We did in one year 57 different trainings, but the one that had a significant impact was when we partnered with Casey Peterson and Associates to do QuickBook training because they then, um, there was some income generated from that but that was such a significant need. Um, we hosted classes on campus. We hosted classes off campus. Um, that was significant. So that was really an important one. Um, and individually, when I would meet with women, I did a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a few men, but primarily women. And I had developed a set of questions that I would want to ask them, to help them think through what they wanted to do and how were they going to do it, what kind of financing and who was their support team. Um, Because really, I've I've really often felt you don't often get to do what you really want to do when you're the business owner because you have to wear so many different hats. 
And so, and if your business grows, you have to grow your employee base, knowing that anytime you can provide a lot of education and training, you're training people to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because mm-hmm. we've had wonderful women who I worked with in the office who are doing wonderful things in the state. Yeah, there's a lot of growth, whether they were employees of SDCO, but just how women and the community in general have been impacted. Like we said, we look back to that stat, it almost doubled in 20 years of how many women-owned businesses are in the state of South Dakota. And obviously, SDCO played a huge impact in that. What kind of gaps do you guys see then? And is it different now in the marketplace for women entrepreneurs? I think the need for training never goes away. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's shifted, maybe the kinds of skill development that, that's necessary and whatnot. Um, but I think it, it, it evolves. I don't think any entity should feel that it has arrived, that mm-hmm. now we've saturated the market. I think there are more women yet to be served, more men yet to be served. Um, I think there are new opportunities that training just keeps evolving, as it does in education in general. K-12 and higher ed, it keeps evolving. I do want to mention a side note about Helen. I think we could hear in her remarks that hiring that right person from the get-go to set the tone from the very beginning of what this was, but also what it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I think Helen understands messaging, branding, positioning extremely well. And that helped shape it from day one. Um, I think had someone come in and tried to feel their way for a year and so forth, I just think the momentum was not there, would not have been there to, to sustain it. But mm-hmm. with her experience in the business community, in the business world, but also how she became embedded in the school of business, the faculty knew her. Mm-hmm. They knew her well. She would come to the meetings. So she wasn't in an office somewhere else and never had any interaction only when she needed them. But I, I think her intentionality uh, throughout the, those early years, but just what she brought from the table and know-how but understanding of messaging, because at first she was having to, to sell what it is, but what is this you're offering? Right. And so that had to be crystal clear, because otherwise she would be inundated with other people wanting her to become something else, but very focused on the mission. And I think, too, like we're very skeptical now of the word free. And I know not all the events are free, but free confidential business advising. I'm sure that was kind of a hard sell to some people because they're probably like, what do you actually want from me? Did you have any? I never felt that. No, I never felt that. I felt the people that actually contacted me and wanted to have an individual session were really very thankful. Mm -hmm. They were very thankful that that, um, I was there, that I had the experience that I had. Because honestly... When you start a business and grow a business, you go through a tremendous amount of change and a tremendous amount of challenges. Mm-hmm. And and really, I felt like, oh, I've been there, done that. Do you think a big part of your advising was setting people up for that mentality of hiring the right person, having the right focus, and the emotional support of knowing what it's like to run a small business? Well, I think that was part of it. What I really wanted them to do is really identify what is it they want to do, how are they financially going to sustain it, are, is it something they're doing part-time, are they going into it full-time, what are their financials, do they have a 12 
you know, do they have a one to five year plan? Mm -hmm. Because most small businesses fail within the first seven years. A huge number fail. Not because their heart's not in it, but any myriad number of things. Right. There's so many things that can go awry. Um, Kate, do you have any, as you saw this organization grow, what, what did you like feel, I guess, what was kind of your observations of seeing this take off with BH being its home? It made me feel really good that I was part of the decision to do this. And that's really all I had to do was <laughs> bring it to the campus and Helen and Priscilla and the campus carry the water, which is what a leader should do is step back and let the people who know what to do do so, their job. So did you see, like as a citizen of the Spearfish and South Dakota communities, did you see the impact that it was making in the community in terms of businesses and growth? Yes, but I think Helen nailed it when she said it wasn't just spearfish. And I think that's a hurdle we had to get over very quickly. And she was out in the state. She was in Aberdeen and Yankton and Winter and Sioux Falls and Watertown. She was always on the road and it was a South Dakota program, not a Black Hill State or West River or Spearfish program. And that message had to get out very quickly. And Helen, you did that. Oh, thank you. Well, and it was important to me to know that the foundation is Black Hill State University. And I always, always wanted to support that. Even when I was looking through past materials, we used the same colors that the university had because we wanted that identity, always, always. And both Kay and Priscilla supported everything in terms of all the conferences, all the luncheons, when I would say, what about this? And when we were able to secure the funding from Core Wharf for the Women's Leadership Program, made a significant difference because we had additional outside funding, but we had high caliber presenters through the School of Business as well as community leaders. So it's that leadership training that's still critically important for women. Bailey, I want to thank President Sean Kemp while we're on this podcast because had you not said yes, none of this would have happened. Mm -hmm. That's right. And the tone came from the top. Absolutely. And I, I'm a firm believer in that, of, yeah. of that tone from the top. So you allowed us to, to do our things. We certainly kept you in the loop. You knew what was oh, yes. going on. It wasn't uh, something that we did in secret. It was well broadcast. But but your your vision and your can-do attitude um, allowed this to happen from the beginning. So thank you for, for doing that because all of us had a rich experience, a shared experience mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. And it was great. You can just see the bond that you guys have. And I know we talked briefly, like, yes, Kay and Priscilla, you work together. And then I think, Helen, you knew them briefly through the community. But now you guys really built something together. And not only as colleagues in the business space, but as friends because of a lot of the barriers and growth. And it's inspiring to see and seeing how, as leaders, the impact that I know you guys have all made on my life in many different facets over my time at BH here. But seeing that also in what we do today as the Women's Business Center and all those strands we pull from you guys and continue to teach upcoming 
entrepreneurs and people in the business community. So thank you. Well, Bailey, even though we're retired and enjoying the good life, we're here anytime you guys need us. So don't hesitate to call on us and our history or whatever we can do to help. We are invested in making sure that this Absolutely. works, well, continues you. to work. And I have your phone number and I hope you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Good. good. Yeah. So I want, we're wrapping this up. Um, so you had your vision for the Women's Business Center. Is this what you imagine it would be 15 years in? Or has it evolved in ways that you never could have imagined? Well, I'm thankful Michelle Kane was on during COVID. <laughs> Honestly, with her technology background and marketing background, uh, I was so thankful I wasn't having yeah. to be the director. Um, and I thought she did a marvelous job for the time she was here because she had been invested with CEO from the very beginning. Um, and... Um, I just think that it's like every organization and every business, you're always constantly changing. I remember when we were in business thinking, oh, in five years we'll plateau and everything will be just fine. And it is constant change. It is constant change. And you have to be able to pivot quickly. You have to be able to listen um, and evaluate, constant evaluation of did this work? What went well? What do we need to do differently? Who do we need to connect with? Who do we need to bring onto um, our resource base so that it can continue? Because all of us want this. It's critically important for women to have a women's business center that they can feel supportive mm -hmm. and they can feel um, that they can have confidential conversations and that they understand many are mothers, many are trying to balance work life. And um, just trying to be a really, really good boss is challenging. Absolutely. And we see that today even with um, the vulnerability women have with each other in the spaces that we provide for SDCO. Not that we don't service men, but it opens up a whole different conversation for them with that those different struggles. Helen, like you mentioned, motherhood. A lot of women own businesses with their husband and that dynamic. And then also the confidence in women, correct? So most women start out as solopreneurs, starting their businesses with a need in the community versus a need to make money, which we see that flip with our counterparts. And so being able to have those conversations, like let's think about the very business side of things and how do we balance the unique aspects that make a women special and our talents, but how do we build a successful thriving business that makes you money and we can raise the pay gap because in South Dakota women yeah. still make 79 cents for the dollar and the state or the United States average is 81 so we're still behind the national average of how much women make per dollar and I feel like entrepreneurship is a big key to that is you get to build your income and building that confidence and you guys I don't know if you guys are listening but you can just feel it rating off these women just giving confidence to everyone. Um, so thank you. So my last question for you all is, what do you wish for women entrepreneurs in the future and what do you think we should strive for as an organization? One thing I would I would point out, and I think this is the, the space that SDCEO has and continues to have with women, is the, 
not only the technical skills, which is the foundation for all of this that they're doing, but the confidence factor. You know, I think about young women uh, studying at Black Hill State, whether they're in the School of Business or the School of Music or School of Ed, any, any females and young men who want to start a business but maybe need that boost in confidence. And I think the classes in entrepreneurship, um, the training that's offered at CEO, the opportunity to be mentored, the opportunity to be coached, um, that the learning never stops, even if you're in business, the learning never stops. But um, I, I think what I'd love to see is more people who feel the confidence to, to start that business, doing their due diligence, meeting with the accountants and the lawyers and all of that, certainly, but having the confidence to move forward and acknowledging what they don't know and when they need the help. And um, so I would say confidence is, is one thing I'd like to see continue to grow among people. I agree. That's that's a key issue. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's critical because if you have to go to a banker and ask for money, you need to be sure you know how to present, how to have the confidence to convey what you want to be able to do, and how to handle any setbacks that might come around. Um, and so I would like to see um, continued relationship building throughout the state of South Dakota. There are tremendous women and men in business. Um, and I remember at one time somebody said, what's with the Women's Business Center? <laughs> and I'm like, well... Women have come a long ways, but we still have a longer ways to go. We are not done, and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. And we should continually be looking at setting new goals, developing relationships, being collaborative. But being supportive of women, I think, is critical. I think we need to support the women-owned businesses. Easy to run into a big box store and buy something. But the relationships develop when you support local small business. There's one more thing that just popped in. And we've talked about the skill sets, going to see the accountant and the banker and the lawyers and et cetera. We haven't really talked much about the soft skill sets. And that's something that I saw happening with the South Dakota CEO the soft skills, how to shake a hand firmly, how to stand erect, how to dress, how to make eye contact. Those sorts of skills are critically important also. It's part of the confidence that we have talked about, but we need to also talk about some of those soft skills that we don't necessarily do all the time. And it goes beyond business. That goes into your personal life oh, sure. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you brought it up, Kay, I was at a, my cousin had a housewarming party last week and I met a new gentleman and I shook his hand and he's like, whoa, you have a good handshake. And I'm like, I, I almost felt a little offended because I'm like, why wouldn't you think I would have a good handshake? And it just made me feel sad for other women who haven't built that confidence to have a proper handshake and own that space. And that was something that was like one small moment in my personal life where I'm like, thank you for my time at BHSU, 
my time at the chamber and attending SDCO, one, uh, SDCO events where I learned a lot of those soft skills to make me realize like how important that is and how much work we still have to do. And I think that's like the premise of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Any last wisdom nuggets before we sign off? Well, I don't know about wisdom, but I want to thank Kay and Priscilla for hiring me, number one, but for being such a supportive team to be able to, 15 years ago, not knowing what we could be doing and seeing the impact of the women-owned businesses and women who have moved into really leadership positions throughout the state of South Dakota. And so I appreciate the opportunity um, that I had. That was the end of my career. I started my my career right after college as the director of the Girls Club in Sioux Falls, where I worked with young girls. And so I ended my career then working with women of all ages. And it just it felt a perfect fit. So thank you. Uh, thank you for your leadership. It's been a good ride. Yeah. And thank you both. And thank you, Bailey, for this opportunity. This has been yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, our conversation has brought up so many more memories than I had before I came in this morning. <laughs> Great yes. memories. And uh, again, a shared experience mm-hmm. that is still living on, you know, these years later. So thank you yeah. both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bailey. Thanks. The big one is here. Tickets for the Women's Business Summit are now on sale. Grab your tickets for the 12th annual GoTo event. Big things are in store, including our new location at the Box Event Center in Rapid City. This professional development conference provides a platform for teams and individuals to find purpose in the workplace with collaboration and inspiration. The full day experience boasts our keynote speakers, stay tuned for that announcement, and our popular business showcase. Discover tactical topics to help everyone thrive in the entrepreneur and intrapreneur environment. More secret releases are on the way, but grab your tickets now at the link below for this full day event. Hi, this is Sarah Carlson with the South Dakota Arts Council in Pierre, South Dakota. And my favorite quote today is written on my wall and I don't know where it came from, but it spells out the word fear. And really, fear is the acronym FACE EVERYTHING AND RISE. Have a great day. How do you get inspiration? Submit the quote or a win that you've had recently to us by emailing bailey.joe.sadowski at bhsu.edu and have your recording played live on the West podcast. Welcome to the West podcast where women entrepreneurs share their tales. SDCO West empowers women and propels economic growth across South Dakota. We do that through free confidential one-on-one business advising, in-person and virtual trainings, and results-driven networking opportunities. We provide a platform for small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking entrepreneurs to gain resources to build their businesses and tell their stories. Now join us on a journey west to discover your business dreams. Crushed it.